the agreement we signed was on his next venture, yes, which happened to be Fortescue Metals. So Fortescue Metals listed, went through the roof. I, of course, was celebrating. The company had a valuation of about $10 billion. So Andrew's stake was worth about $6 billion, and there I was thinking I was a billionaire. And I called him, and he said, yeah, that wasn't the next one. The next one I did didn't work. That was the one after that. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. And that mission has led me to create the Become a Better Investor community. In that community, you get access to the tools you need to create, grow, and protect your wealth. Go to myworstinvestmentever.com right now to claim your spot. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guests, Shane Heffern. And Shane, are you ready to join the mission? I am, mate. <laughs> I'm excited to have you on. And, you know, the funny thing about this is that, you know, we're, we're actually not very far away from each other, but here we are on Zoom. So next time we're going to have to have coffee. <laughs> yeah. So let me introduce you to the audience Shane Heffernan has a PhD in economics and has done several IPOs that have surpassed a market cap of a billion dollars. Shane, take a minute and tell us a bit about the unique value you are bringing to this wonderful world. As you can tell, I'm not a, not a young fella, so we've had a lot of experience with things that go bad. Too much experience with things that go bad, but and that's how you learn things, yes. so. What we've learned is very much in line with what you said. What you need to do is you need to be able to do things and take risk, but constantly mitigate that risk and make better decisions. So when that becomes, when risk becomes your your highlight area, that's exactly what you focus on. You focus on mitigating that risk. Mm. Um, mitigating risk is probably what we do. We love mm. crypto, but we think it's far too risky. So we, we've got a bunch of other blockchain-based assets that are real entities, big entities, governments, those types of things. So somebody can still be in that business but not carry that much risk, mm. as they do with the drawing of a monkey. What do you mean, the drawing of a monkey? drawing of a monkey, a bored ape that will sell for half a million dollars or a picture of a puppy that represents a meme coin. We don't do any of those things. Our mm. stuff is uh, properly drawn up bonds from very large companies, debt from governments, debt from government private joint ventures, things like that. They would be A-rated type things. Not as exciting as a main coin, but the risk is gone. Your return is virtually guaranteed. The return is an, ex an exciting return, hundreds of percent a year. It's not that. It's all very boring stuff in line with the debt market, yes? Yeah, well, sometimes boring can be really great. <laughs> boring is best, yes. The exciting stuff, what makes it exciting is the possibility you might lose everything. That's, <laughs> the, that's what makes it exciting, yes? That's what people do when they gamble. It's exciting. You might lose everything. You might win a lot. And that's the foundation of this show. So, wow, let's... 
Let's now get into it. Now it's time to share your worst investment ever and since no my, one. My worst investment ever has all of the ingredients of everything you should avoid. A friend of mine, his name was Andrew Forrest, a friend for 20 years, came to me in Hong Kong in tears. He needed $6 million to save his business. He was being thrown out of his house within the next 48 hours. Bank was going to repossess his house. At the time, he'd just been ousted as the CEO of Anaconda, which we had uh, done some work on. I lent him $6 million. Everything about it was wrong. I did not do any of the due diligence. I didn't take time to do the due diligence. There was this big rush, drop-dead date, which is now one of my huge red flags. Somebody calls me and says, you know, I need money by tomorrow at three o'clock or the whole world ends. What I've learned is tomorrow at four o'clock, everything's still there. Mm. So those urgent deadlines, I think, are an enormous red flag. Lending money to friends is also a really bad idea. And, so and let's, let's, part, let's go back to when you did it. Like, why? what was it at that time that you were thinking? I, it was 20 years ago. $6 million 20 years ago was a lot of money, yes. Definitely. I was making a lot of money at the time, so it didn't sort of, it wasn't the end of the world. So there was a little bit of ego in there that I could show my friend that, mm. yeah, I got $6 million, I got $3 million there in the safe in cash, yes. So there's a little bit of ego there, doing it. A little bit of the, you know, the white knight hero, I'll save you and your. So lots of those emotions came into the investment. I think those things that are emotional as well are always mm. dangerous. With lots of emotions, emotion charged investments, you really want to take your time and, and consider it. And how long was it from when he came to you saying, hey, I need this, and he had it in his account? Next, next day. Next day. It's just stupid, yes. Just stupid. And when did you realize, like, oh, God, that was a bad decision? Well, during a phone call, I called Andrew after the company that I lent him the money and he rebuilt the company. And the agreement we signed was on his next venture, yes, which happened to be Fortescue Metals. So Fortescue Metals listed, went through the roof. I, of course, was celebrating. The company had a valuation of about $10 billion. So Andrew's stake was worth about $6 billion, and there I was thinking I was a billionaire. And I called him, and he said, yeah, that wasn't the next one. The next one I did didn't work. That was the one after that. Yes. So I didn't even get my $6 million back. Not only didn't I make any money, I didn't get my $6 million back. And what was your reaction at the time? I wasn't a happy fella. I wasn't a happy fella, but there was very little I could do because – I hadn't done I hadn't done a very good job of giving him the money. I didn't have very clear agreements because we wrote agreements very quickly. I just transferred the money and gave him the other money. Uh, the cash money I just gave to him. Yeah, I'd, I'd done a really bad job. So yes, initially angry at him, but within a day or so, fairly angry at myself for being so stupid, yes. But it was um, it was a good lesson in, in lots of those things not to do. So, so let's go through it. Let's say, you know, what would be the lessons that you learned from that? I think the, one of my big red flags now, guys, who says I have to have the money by this date. Yes. Yeah. 
when I have, we have to have the money by this date. That terrifies me. So mm. even if I'm going to do something, I know I'm not doing it till after that date. I want to see if that world is going to fall apart. I might be standing there ready with the money in my pocket if the world falls apart, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take my time and see what happens. My experience so far is that unless it's a real estate deal where the bank has a deadline on, if you don't pay us, we're going to take the property back. In which case, the best way to deal with that is go directly to the bank and buy it off them, buy it off the individual in the middle. So, yeah, a lot. And friends, you know, friends, you just you're better off. You've got friends, keep your friends. Business is your business, and try not to mix those those up. Sometimes your business associates will become friends, but you still can't let that cloud your judgment. Mm, mm. One of the big things I've learned is that carrying the debt of an old business, and this one does happen to us a lot, where we've taken over a business, we took one over recently, and that business has debt. Right. We've taken over that business or we bought the assets out of that business, I should say. We bought the assets out of that business. That's the end of me. I'm done. There's the money. There's the assets. Everyone you owe money to is your problem. Mm. It would be wonderful if I could go and pay all those people back. I'm not going to. Right. Because I didn't lose their money. I'm responsible for my money and people who've given me money. That's what I'm responsible for. Everyone who gave the other person on my business, yes. That's not my business. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes there's heartbreak stories there and all sorts of things, but it's not your business. And you can't do you can't do those things and carry that cost mm. and still make money. It's on your own investment. Yep. Yeah. So maybe I'll share a couple of things I take away. I mean, my worst investment ever was somewhat similar where a friend of mine had a good business. He had a good business idea. I think, you know, it started off pretty good. And so I started kind of funding it. But it just, it went off the rails a little bit. And I I kind of thought like, yeah, maybe this is good. But then it just got to a point where we had to go to the next step. And it was going to take, I'd say, you know, maybe $3 million in, in marketing, you know, spend to bring it out to the, the world. And at that point, I had to ask myself, am I, do I feel comfortable going out to people I know and say, put money into this? And the answer to that was no. And unfortunately, it was at that moment that I realized I'd lost it all because there was no way to recover it. And I talked to him and just said, look, I can't fund this anymore and I'm not going to go out and raise that kind of money. And it fell. And that was it wasn't six million, but it was a pretty hefty number for me at the time. And I remember one of the things about it was that I was president of CFA Society here in Thailand at the time. And, you know, there was a lot of shame in that, that I you know, I'm, I'm a smart guy and all of this, and I've got a brave face, but you know, when we have big losses, when we make big mistakes, it's shameful, it's embarrassing. And part of what we do on the show is, is bring it out and talk about it. So there's a couple, couple of things I take away from your story. The first one is don't be a hero. You know, you can't, you can't save the world. And that, that is probably the biggest takeaway. And it is such a seductive thing as you start to build up money and it, we're not talking about six million bucks. You know, you could have a friend come to you and say, hey, I just need 10,000 yep. to fix this situation. And, you know, I'm going to be the hero and my ego feels good and all that. No. And one way that I like to look at that is I say that my obligation is ultimately to my family 
and to my business partners to protect our wealth for our stuff. It is literally an obligation. And our, our corporate motto, Andrew, might sound a little bit rough, but this is what it is. If you're on the team, you're on the team. And if you're not on the team, you're the enemy. So that's our corporate motto. Because we've got to look after that's who we have to look after, yes. Everybody else is not our business. Yes. Yeah. We've got to do that. So yeah, that is our uh, that is our corporate motto. But mistakes, those mistakes were made. Lots of the mistakes I made were ego driven mistakes. Mm. Well, you know, you know, you uh, I didn't come from a wealthy background, so when, when I was successful, for there was a period there where I was king of the world, yes, I thought I was. I was the sun king building Versailles. I was all of those, those stupid things, made all of those mistakes. So, mm-hmm. yep, your ego, ego gets in the way a lot, especially if you've had some success. Yep. So let's, let's now imagine a young person who is having some success and someone's coming to him in this type of similar situation. And based upon what you learned from this story and what you've continued to learn, what one action would you recommend that they take to avoid suffering the same fate? Learn patience. Learn to be patient. Mm. Learn to be patient and you know, get over yourself in terms of your ego. So, yeah. And that, that's a very difficult thing to do. Yeah. Yep. Great advice. Do you have any resource that you'd recommend for the listeners? I read a book. I read a book. Well, I've read a few books, but I read yeah. a book in particular. I reference the book all the time. Uh, people ask me, what should I read? It's a book by Edward de Bono, and it's called I'm Right, You're Wrong. And what the book teaches you is that someone can come to you and make the most amazing argument for something and you want to give him money. The problem is, and the problem, one of the problems with our entire society is the people who make the best arguments end up in charge of everything else. But sometimes just because you make the best argument doesn't mean you're right. It just means you made the best argument. So you've got to be able to look beyond the argument, look beyond the powerful and emotional rhetoric and get to the facts and study the facts and see what's right and what's wrong. So hmm. I think that's a very important book. Who is the author, you said? Edward de Bono. Okay, got it. Yep. A lateral thinking man. It's a very interesting book. And it's true, yes, the best argument is from the person who presents the best argument. It's not always who's right, as we've seen with many politicians. Well, <laughs> best argument for some of the best speakers uh, and some of the people who can get a crowd riled up doesn't mean their idea is right. It doesn't mean they're the person for the job. It does not mean that. And it's a shame because we're seeing that move more and more into central banks. I don't know if you remember, but in the 80s, in the early 90s, I had no idea who the chairman of the Federal Reserve was. I had no idea what he looked like. He didn't give press conferences. And then we have Alan Greenspan started this this rock star image of the chairman of the Federal Reserve. Before that, it was a fairly boring banker that you never heard from. Mm. So, and now you have all the board of governors talking, and you'll have a finance minister from India will say, I'm going to ban Bitcoin. <laughs> I'm yeah. going to do this, I'm going to do that. And the reality is, that's a great thing to say, but you can't do anything. 
Yeah. You have to prepare legislation. That legislation has to be drafted. That legislation's got to go through a process. So even if you intended to do something, it's not happening for five years, six years, ten years. Yes. So we have a lot of that now. We're hearing more and more of these short sound bites, a product of of the Twitter phenomenon. More and more mm-hmm. small, powerful sound bites that convince people of things. Yeah. The small sound bites not enough. It's not enough for me to. Twitter's the, you know, that's the uh, hotbed of equity and crypto information is Twitter. Mm. (laughs) How the hell am I going to get a detailed investment analysis in 140 characters? I'm not. I have to go and read a lot of stuff, yes. I have to go and read uh, hours and hours of things to have that opinion. Mm. How we form that opinion based on a tweet. (laughs) All right, last Last question, what's your number one goal for the next 12 months? Uh, over the next 12 months, I'm teaching my boys here how to run a trade desk. So they're part of our KXCO, I'm teaching our boys here to run a trade desk. I'm hopeful that the boys do learn how to do that because it's a, a wonderful way to make money that you can do from anywhere in the world and provides you unlimited freedom. And freedom to do the things you want to do and being rich is not anything anybody actually wants to do. Nobody just wants to be rich. They want to do things, yes? Mm. So when you talk to people, I say, I want to be rich. What for? Why do you want to be rich? I want to live on the beach. Yes, I want to do this. Trading gives you the opportunity to go and do those things. Make enough money to enjoy yourself. Make enough money to enjoy yourself and do the things that you really want to do. Because your idea of, I just want to be rich, will never lead you anywhere good. Mm. Well, listeners, there you have it, another story of loss to keep you winning. If you haven't yet joined the Become a Better Investor community, just go to myworstinvestmentever.com right now to claim your spot. As we conclude, Shane, I want to thank you again for joining our mission. And on behalf of ASTOTS Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment do you have any parting words for the audience oh no just just be careful be careful great advice and that's a wrap on another great story to help us create grow and protect our well fellow risk takers let's celebrate that today we added one more person to our mission to help one million people reduce risk in their lives this is your worst podcast host andrew Stott saying i'll see you on the upside.